so it's good that we can laugh about that, because that's kind of what's been happening in this country over the last couple of years. We just saw his uh, fun with Dick and Jane. We saw Dick trying to explain why his company went downhill fast, Globodine stocks. What is this whole financial crisis about? Now, we could have financial experts up here, and we could spend hours and weeks and months on end to figure out all the dynamics, but it all boils down to one thing. People did not stay within their means. They didn't only spend the money they had. Now, whether it's individuals or whether it's companies or countries, that's the basis. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Hey, if you're here for the first time, we want to welcome you to this church. I hope you see what God is doing here. We've had a baptism. We've heard about mission work. See what God is binding up and putting together here as an incredible church. I hope you join us. Also, we, uh, we want to welcome those who are listening on podcasts today, especially from Louisiana, Alexandria, Louisiana. We know that you've been hit by floods and oil disasters, and we w- welcome you to this worship service today. So we're on our third week of our series called Money Matters, and we're talking about the role of money in our lives. Now, as we begin this series, what we've said at the beginning of every message is this is not about us asking for your money. A lot of times when churches do this, you're just waiting for it to happen. That's not what we're talking about. We're actually talking about the role of money and how to work with this thing that we deal with. And three weeks ago, we looked at the role of money in the power of money in our lives. All of us have money or we don't have money, but this it has this power over us. And what we need to do is is give that power that it has over us to God and say, Lord, would you take care of this for me because I can't do that. And then last week, we took a look at how how to get out of financial trouble. And I didn't give you a whole bunch of financial explanations. I talked about it spiritually. The most important thing spiritually is to not let it suck us down, to not let it entrap us. And usually the first thing that happens when we find out that we're in financial trouble is this fear engulfs us. And God wants us to just relax in that situation and be lifted up and out into a safe place in our lives. We saw last week that financial trouble can happen because of anything. Heard about these two hunters who were out the other day. This hunter is talking to another hunter. He said, I really like your dog. Would you sell me your dog? That is the nicest dog in the world. They said, well, I'll sell it to you for, oh, a hundred bucks. I'll sell it to you for a hundred bucks. Well, I don't have the cash, said the other hunter, but I will write you a check for a hundred dollars. The guy seemed kind of reticent because he knew his friend. But then the other guy said, well, you know, I am a trustee in the Methodist church. You can take this check, and this is a good check. He was still kind of nervous about it, but he decided to take the check. He went home later to his uncle and said, have you ever heard of what a Methodist trustee is in a church? No, said his uncle. I never heard of such a thing. But I think it's something like an elder in a Presbyterian church. Oh, no, said the guy. Well, there goes my dog. All right. That takes a little bit of thinking and getting used to Okay, today we're talking about how to stick with a plan. But before we go into that, let me just figure out how many people here never use credit, never borrow money, you only ever, only spend cash in your life. There's a few people I've met like that, okay? Honesty, that's good. Anybody here only use credit cards or borrow money for big purchases? Houses and college debt and that kind of stuff? Okay, good. How many people here tend to use credit cards a fair amount? You tend to use credit cards a little bit. Get the hand up there. It's good for the soul. Just you know, good. All right. How many people here used to have a magnetic strip on the back of your credit card, but because you've used it so much, the magnetic strip is no longer there? We have a lot of people in our country, and it's interesting, like that, 
uh, just to give you an idea, the average debt or the amount that people spend outside of their means is $14,000. The average person has a $14,000 debt on their credit card. You can think about where you are in that particular category. There are 609 million credit cards in the United States today. Now, you figure that a third of the United States at least are children. So that tells you that since the American population is about 300 million, the average person has three to four credit cards. We also know that credit card companies are extremely predatory in terms of trying to get us in. I'll never forget when I was a campus minister at the University of Michigan, uh, one of the things that bugged me so much was that basically in order to sign up for a class, you had to walk past 15 credit card signups in order to sign up for a class. It was almost like, where's your credit card? Now you can sign up for classes. And I preached about that, and that made the credit card companies very happy with me. So just to say that. Then, of course, credit card companies, they have these crazy interest rates, right? 14% APR is the average credit card uh, percentage rate, and that's 14 cents on every dollar, uh, $14 on $100, and you can do the math. Now, a lot of times, this is per month. It isn't simply just an annual APR. I'll never forget the first credit card I ever got was at a Banana Republic. Ever been one of these things before? I was in college, and I had $40 for the shirt that I wanted to buy in my pocket. I had the cash. I'd never used a credit card before, didn't know anything about them. The woman at the table said, sir, if you sign up for this Banana Republic credit card, you get 10% off your purchase. I said to myself, well, I don't really need $3 off this, and I don't really want anything to do with it. So I was about to give her the cash. She said, come on, sir. It's free. You've got to be careful about that word. So I signed up for the Banana Republic credit card. I didn't know what the APR, the percentage rates, the points, or anything like that. I just figured it was a few dollars off my shirt, and I forgot about it all through college. I forgot about it through my first job at Wasatch Academy as professor of religion. I forgot about it through my three years of seminary. I forgot about it through the first year of my marriage until I needed to buy a house. And my wife and I went to get our credit rating, and my wife's credit rating was wonderful. And my credit rating was like Globadon stock. It was going down fast, all because of $30 on a Banana Republic credit card. Now, I've worked that out in my life, but we all have stories of this and when these things are predatory towards us. I want to talk today about how to not write a plan. If you need help writing a budget plan, there are people in this church, we can have, help you with that. If you need help sticking with a plan, we can help you with that. What I want to talk about today is how to stick with a plan when it's really, really hard. I had a couple come into my office the other day, and they had had financial troubles, and they showed me their budget, and they asked me to pray over their budget, and I did that. And then I said to him, before you leave, I just want to say one thing. This is going to be really, really hard. They said, oh, I know, Pastor. No, I don't think you do. It's going to be real hard. That's one of the things I want to talk about, how God can help us stick with things that are hard today. Now, whenever we talk about things that are hard, we use the word, the Christian word called discipline. Discipline. Now, I've looked online for discipline. Let's look at the word discipline. When you accept a challenge, you see through it, I like that. That's a beautiful discipline, making a piece of pottery. That's a discipline you see there. Here's a woman on the beach who is doing push-ups in the morning. She's doing her athletics. That's a kind of discipline. Here's another kind of discipline. This is a kid trying to learn how, poor kid, to get potty trained. So discipline can be painful. 
Let's actually take a look at what discipline is. It's a main focus. So there's like a main focus. If you're a disciplined person, you wake up, you do your workout, you pray at five in the morning, that's disciplined. You have some kind of punishment. Maybe you have your kids. You put your kids in time out or you, give them, you ground them for a little while. That's a discipline, isn't it? That's a kind of punishment. You're not doing it to hurt them. You're doing it to help them in their lives. It's a teaching, isn't it? A discipline, the discipline of English, the discipline of biblical studies. And it's also, and we're going to look at this today, a routine, a rhythm. It's a rhythm in our lives. Let's take a look at um, the word discipline. We're going to take a look at our text today. If you need to do something hard, you want to talk to someone who's had a hard life. And Paul had a hard life. Let's take a look at our text. We're going to look at Romans 5, 1 through 5. We're raising the lights so you can read your Bibles if you've brought them. Or you can see the screen on each side. This is what Paul says about hard things. He says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Christianity. He's saying we have this faith. That's not the focus of the morning. Not only so, he says in verse 3, but we also rejoice in what? We also rejoice in what? Suffering. We are happy about the hard things. We are joyful that we can't do everything that we want. We rejoice in suffering. So let's write that down. And whenever we see this formulation, this was a way that the Greeks and Paul would write out things S plus, let's take a look at what's next, suffering, because we know that suffering produces what? Perseverance. Perseverance is what gets us through the storm. It's the tent that stays up in the storm. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces what? Character. Character is the basic constitution of who we are. And character produces what? Hope. Hope. So if we were to look at this equation, if we were to look at this the way Paul meant us to look at this, we would say us leads to P, leads to C, equals H. Let's look at that equation. Suffering leads to perseverance, leads to character, leads to hope. Now, if we were in a math class today, we could actually boil this equation down. Suffering equals hope. The hard things in our life actually lead to hope when we commit them to God. Let's continue. Hope does not disappoint us. Hope is what you and I want because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. The hard things in our life lead to the hopeful things in our life. It's a tough message. It may not even make sense to us right now. But that's the gospel of what God wants to tell us today. And in this tough economy, in this tough time, the hard things that we have in our lives will lead to the hopeful things that we have. Again, what is discipline? Well, part of it's routine. It's, it's doing the same thing every single day and the same thing every single day after that. As I get older, I notice that the, the older I get, the more routined I am in my life, the more rhythm I have. Let me tell you about my routines. Every Tuesday, I wear a tie. Every Tuesday. If you've ever come to the church, you see that I wear a tie. Now, why do I wear, wear a tie on Tuesday? Part of it is it's the beginning of the staff week, and we have a big staff meeting. Uh, by then, I usually have a couple of uh, dripping things that I've stripped on my shirt, so a tie covers that nicely by then. But part of it is, it's my routine. Every Friday, I do yard work or housework. Every Friday. Now, things happen in the house all the time. The light bulbs go out, uh, certain things, uh, the grass will break down, or I'll, the hot water heater needs adjusting, the lawn has dandelions in it. I don't deal with that throughout the week. 
unless it's an emergency. I deal with that on Friday. Now, if I had to deal with those things all week long, I would just go nuts. That's my routine. That's what I do every Friday. Every Sunday when I come into church in the morning, about 8 o'clock in the morning, I walk through that door right there. Not that door, the one downstairs. I walk through that door. I go and turn on that light right back there. I wave to Caleb. Just ask Caleb. I do this every, every single morning, Sunday morning. Hi, Caleb. He waves back. Hi, Graham. I go and get my microphone, and then I go down to my office. That's my routine. Every morning I wake up and I read the paper. First thing I do, and I have my coffee. That's my routine. When I was a pastor in a church before this that had 90% senior citizens, which was a wonderful experience but a challenge, they would want me to visit them, mostly in nursing homes and the hospitals, all throughout the week. And we had 300 people in this church, 90% seniors, so that was a lot. I said I would visit them on Wednesday, just Wednesday. So they would call me up and say, I need a visit, and I say, is it Wednesday? Now, this didn't make me very popular sometimes. I'd say, is it an emergency? I'll be there at the hospital in two seconds. It's an emergency. Nope, it's not. But then I'll see you Wednesday because that was the routine of my life. Because if I had to do things on the fly and change it all the time, it wouldn't work for me. Now, why am I telling you the silly disciplines of my life? God wants us to live disciplined lives. He wants us to live routine lives. He wants yesterday to be the same as the day before as the day before, that your life would get into this breathing rhythm, this routine. And when tough times happen in our lives, it has a tendency to take us out of our routine. So that's the first thing I want to talk about today. You know, I heard about, um, I love these lists. These are signs that you know you're getting older. I love this. Signs that you know you're getting older. When you remember when the Dead Sea was only sick. Dumb. Here's one. When you wake up looking at your driver's, and you look like your driver's license picture. I already do. Uh, Here's another one. You know you're getting older when happy hour is a nap. Okay? (laughs) You know you're getting older when the pharmacist has become your new best friend. You know you're getting older when the twinkle in your eye is only the reflection of the sun on your bifocals. You know you're getting older when your age always corresponds inversely to the size of your multivite. You know you're getting older when people no longer view you as a hypochondriac. You know you're getting older when in a hostage situation you're likely to be first released. (laughs) You know you're getting older when you're sitting on a park bench and a boy scout comes out and helps you cross your legs. That one's kind of painful. The last one on this list was you know you're getting older when yesterday is the same as the day before and the day before. But that's wrong. That's not a sign of getting older. That's a sign of discipline, of character, of perseverance in our lives. And God wants us to live lives of perseverance. One of our baptisms we're going to have in our next service is Sonny Biven. It's our only, it's our second family ever to be baptized here. Our first family, remember, was the Fairbairn family back there in the movie theaters. The second family will be the Biven family. And I asked Sonny Biven this last week, how does it that she gets through her week? How did she... How did she also, how's her faith going? She said, every single morning, every morning I wake up and I read my Beth Moore. Every morning. Doesn't matter if it's 11, I go to bed at 11 or 12 or 1 or 2. I still wake up and I do that. It's the routine of my life. My favorite Bible scholar is Dale Bruner. 
He is like the smartest guy I know. He's written a commentary on Romans. And somebody recently asked him, how is it, Dale, that you have been such a great scholar and written so many great books? He gave a surprising answer. He said, I have an iron butt. Explain that, Dale. He's a Bible scholar. He said, I can sit in a chair for eight straight hours every day and study. That's what I do. It's my routine. It's my discipline. God wants us to live these disciplined lives. Now, remember, discipline is not simply about, simply like a routine. It's also a little bit about punishment. It's about pain. It's a little bit about suffering. It's not really something you probably wanted to hear about today. But God meant that to be a part of our lives. I heard about a children's ministries program in uh, Hawaii that was huge, like ours. And they had problems with discipline. The kids were just all over the place, and they were just nuts, and they needed some help with discipline. There also happened to be a marine base near there, an army corps, or marines, you know, the uh, military branch of the service. They decided to send marines down to their children's ministries department to occasionally discipline the kids. The pastor said, go down there and sit on them if you have to. True story. Now, the moms in this church were appalled by this. How could you do that? Two weeks later, they doubled the program, and the kids loved it. Apparently, there was one Marine Corps person per classroom, and it just fixed things overnight. Discipline. I love the way that one songwriter wrote it. Everything in our lives should be this routine. Uh, He writes, God is in my living, he's in my breathing, he's in my waking, he's in my sleeping, he's in my resting and my working and my thinking and my speaking. He's in my hoping and my dreaming and my watching and my waiting and my laughing. He's in my weeping and my hurting and my, and my healing. And today we would say he's in my spending and my saving and my giving. So that's number one. God wants us to live disciplined lives. Number two, God wants us to be disciplined with our money as well. Heard this amazing story. You're not going to believe this. In about 1980, they were just figuring out online banking where you would call a phone and figure out what your online balance is, you know. And you know how you go through the process of giving them your social security number and they ask your mother's maiden name and all that. And they were just working this system out. Well, this guy, this guy named Joe Ferreira calls up National Bank, true story. He asks what his balance is, his account balance. The previous week it was a thousand bucks or something. He calls up and he waits for a second and the woman's voice on the other side, which is a computer, says this, Sir, Joe Ferreira, your account balance is... $924,844,201.25. He said, come again? $924,844,201. Obviously, it was a massive computing error. Now, Joe did something that a lot of us wouldn't. All of his friends said, Joe, go out and spend. Get yourself a new car, a new house, new stuff. Or an offshore banking account. Put, hide your money. <laughs> They'll never know that it was gone. Swiss bank account. Joe called up the bank and he said, this is not my money. Obviously, there's been an error. I only had $1,000. Here's what I love. He was disciplined. A lot of us do the same with our money. We find out that we have a certain amount of money. We figure out we've got this. Our paycheck has come in and we figure out, let's just go spend it. And I'm included in this thing, right? But God wants us to live disciplined lives. The same discipline that we have with our life, every day should be the same. I know of a guy, a good friend of mine, who has been married for about 30 years now, and every single month he does the same thing. He has a series of shoe boxes in his closet. 
He goes and cashes. He's never used a credit card. He goes and cashes his check out at the beginning of the month, takes home all the cash, so he feels wealthy for one day. And then he puts the money in a series of shoe boxes, a little bit for housing, a little bit for food, a little bit for savings, a little bit for tithing. And when that money's gone, it's gone. He's disciplined. Now, I could just feel that, that just, you are so happy to hear this message today, aren't you? <laughs> and I can just hear what you're saying because it's the same thing on my heart. You're saying to yourself, where's the spice of my life going to come from? You just want me to live every single day. It's just boring. I'm going to live every day like the last day. Where am I going to get a new pair of designer jeans? That's how I get through life. That's the spice. What about a big house that makes my life good? Oh, I want rims. You're saying to yourself, how I get through life are a new pair set of rims on my car right? How else do we get through? Well, here's the big point of my message. We have to trust God for those things. We live disciplined lives, and you can trust this. You trust this, that if you live a disciplined life in a disciplined area with your money, God will bring you those things. Now, this is not the prosperity gospel. God will figure out a way to bring you the spice of your life. And we've lived in a country and a time when we want that life, that spice, that release, that freedom. And so we go do that. If we will just trust God that he will do that and we will just live every day like the last day, that's where we get our hope. Favorite story about this is Babette's Feast, this incredible movie set in this little very religious community in Denmark. And we're talking, they wake up, they pray, they, they don't have great food, it just they, they go to church three times a day. It's very, a lot of people might call it boring. I mean, they, they this are very hardcore religious. They have simple clothes. One day this woman comes to this uh, little town and she has a ship that's wrecked off the coast of Denmark. She washes up on shore and they take her into this community and they take care of her. One day this woman wins the Irish lottery she wins like $10,000. It comes in. And she could actually leave. But she does, decides to do an incredible thing. She decides to actually make this incredible feast for this small religious town who have never eaten anything but oatmeal every single day. Now, part of this gift, part of this movie is about the power of giving. But part of it is about the way God protects us and provides for us. That community could never have afforded that meal. They could have worked their whole lives and they could have, they never would have gotten a reservation at a restaurant that incredible. But God brought that into their life and he will bring it into yours and you can trust that. Let's give it to God and next week we're going to talk about the power of giving in our lives. Father, I thank you for this and I thank you, even though this is a hard word, nobody really woke up today wanting to hear about discipline and suffering. We hear the word from you that it is leading to hope in our lives. And we know that this is hard. And there are people who are struggling day to day with bills they can't pay. Lord, I ask that we can trust you, that you will take care of us. We give you our lives. And we know that you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.